Hi, Gerard. It is such a pleasure to have you at, on our Buddy Design podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's quite a, an honor for me to be part of your podcast. Thank you so much. Gerard, for our viewers, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I will. Uh, so, Deepa, I'm a I'm Khera Kutsir from uh, an organization called SIGAP, the consultative group to assist the poor. I've been with them for about uh, seven, eight years now. And uh, before that, I worked uh, mostly in South Africa and in, on the African continent in financial inclusion, ranging from academia, consulting, banking, uh, for the last 30 odd years. Fabulous. I've had the great opportunity of knowing you, Gerard, for a few years now. And it's been an absolute pleasure to work with you as well as your colleagues at um, CGAP. And, you know, certainly a lot of brag value for us to say, hey, we work with the World Bank. Uh, so thank you for that opportunity as well. Gerard, again, I've had the great opportunity of hearing your points of view on uh, financial inclusion, a place that you tend to specialize in, um, also agriculture and rural livelihoods, areas that are of deep passion and expertise for yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about how you bring in the aspects of customer centricity in the work that you do at CGAP and at World Bank? Um, I know we're gonna get eventually to uh to speak about customer-centric approaches. So just to say that my thinking is permeated by thinking around customer-centric approaches. And we have three areas we emphasize when we think about that. The one is to generate information and we call that learning from customers. The second one is in your world where you take what you've done and you design through ideation and through all the techniques that you use. And the third one is as challenging as the other two, and that is how do you organize yourself to implement something? Right. So I'm, I'm just saying that as background because in the rural and agricultural world, when CGAP set out to focus on rural and agricultural vulnerable people, we decided to start with that number one, learn from people. And uh, so all our work uh, for four and a half to five years until about 2018, the first stage was focused on learning. Mm -hmm. And we ran six national surveys across the world, three uh, financial diary studies, and at the end of that time, we thought we had a better understanding of what are the pain points that need to be addressed. And only after that, we started thinking about um, how to address those pain points. How do, we, how do we continue on this human-centered design or design journey now? And the interesting thing was at the same time that we were doing that, we were also uh, really trying to grasp what we need to address on getting 
answers to questions like why would people not use financial products that are offered to them? Why will they not sign up for it? So, so the agricultural rural work and the customer centric work uh, became two parallel streams in CGAP and they fit each other. And I, and, and the question also always come to the fore is, is there really a market for private sector and market driven organizations to focus on the vulnerable and rural poor? Mm-hmm. And and I think, and, and you know this, I mean, because you work in this often, I think the big question is that you have to start with the right focus point. And you can't focus on the organization first. You have to focus on what brings value to the customer. Right. And we realized that, and that sort of drove our work. The other interesting thing is that you often... Um, you often embark on a journey and you say you're doing a rural agricultural study and you want to improve things for people in rural areas. And here come we come back to your in-the-box thinking. And then people think very focused on agriculture as the economic activity and how do we find the solution for agriculture. But quite often you find solutions outside what you are focusing on. And I will never forget that um, we had a team looking at a uh, a plight of smallholders in Zimbabwe and they uh, uh, worked with a human-centered design organization and they engaged with the clients, with the customers. And you know what was the solution? nothing to do directly with agriculture. It was a school saving scheme for their children. So they can actually save money to pay on a quarterly basis for school fees, because what will happen is as they want to invest in their agricultural enterprise, they have at the the same time, they have to pay school fees and there are lots of other demands on their scarce resources. And any parent will always pay first for the school fees and then think about the rest. So we thought, well, in what way can we preserve and separate that so that you can save for the school fees and that the investment they wanted to make in agriculture can still take place. So there's less stress in the household at that time. And I always thought it was an amazing uh, approach done by this team that uh, they, they actually replicated that approach later in Cote d'Ivoire with, with much success. Not us, not not, not Siga, uh, but a company that looked at this and said, oh, this, this might work in other settings as well. So on the rural agricultural side, the lesson for me is think comprehensive, look at the lives of those that you want to, uh, to engage with and to uh, assist and to leverage. And the answers will come from there, not from your preconceived ideas about this. I have a, a wonderful team that I'm a member of in CGAP that engage on these questions. And for me, um, 
design thinking is never an individual uh, pursuit. Never, ever. It, the best solutions comes from the interaction between team members and those that you are focusing on, the customers. That interaction brings absolutely the best solutions. Fabulous. Um, Gerard, I know that you've championed putting together um, you know, a customer-centric guide um, that you, know, you have on the CGAP website uh, for people to use. So you're generously giving um, you know, frameworks and tools that, and encouraging everyone to use it. What would you say has been your motivation to champion this, Gerard? Why do it at all? You know, Tipa, um, I've been engaged in microfinance and financial inclusion since the 1980s. And, um, and although we can cry victory on some topics, we cannot yet say that we have a world that's fully included and that inclusion isn't just about financial inclusion, but it's about economic inclusion, social inclusion. And when, when, um, when we looked at this in SIGAP and we said, what can we do on the demand side to get to that included world? We started looking at what we saw in terms of product uptake, financial services and products, the uptake rate or the utilization rate. And uh, we quickly see the vast difference between accessing something and using it. Mm. And philosophically, accessing something or having access to something can happen in uh, many ways. It can be a forced access as well. I want to be paid my salary, therefore I need to bank account. I want to be paid my grant, therefore I need a mobile account or whatever the situation is. But, but utilization and self-initiated utilization of accounts for me is the first asset test or litmus test. And we didn't see that. So we saw vast access growing from 2011 to 2014 to 2017. When you look at Global Fundex, the survey that's uh, executed by the World Bank every three, four years. And, um, but you don't see a lot of utilization or usage. And we started asking why. And we have the simple obs uh, measurement of this. We, we know that through literature and through own research that even today where we are so hyped by mobile money and digital financial services that there are pockets in the world where you have very high utilization but on average we are still growing we are growing at the pace but we are still growing and we can still say that only about one third of mobile users really use mobile money actively. That means two thirds don't. Right. And the same for bank accounts. Uh, we know there's a high dormancy after accounts have been opened. 
we know a lot of accounts are used as mailbox accounts. And I, and I just let me explain the mailbox account concept is the money go, it goes like postage into a mailbox, you take it out and then the mailbox is empty for the rest of the period until you put some posting again. And this is what we see, uh, people take it out and they, and they engage in cash. Just and, a way of getting paid, right? Absolutely. And we, and we looked at this and we said, okay, what can we do at SIGA to influence this? Because it seems to us that customers don't gain value from engaging with accounts and organizations providing those accounts. And at the same time, these organizations, let's call them financial service providers, do not gain value by engaging with those customers. So we asked ourselves, we said, what can we do to focus both customer and organization on value for both? So an organization should start with value for the customer and then translate that into value for the organization. And this is where the idea of the guide started. We said, okay, what way can we guide financial service providers to focus on customers and generating value for customers? And this customer-centric model then drove the thinking. Um, and, and the rest is actually a lot of history because <laughs> in, the, in the typical SIGAP way, we first studied this internationally. We interviewed CEOs and designers and officers, senior officers from a myriad of international firms, America, Africa, India, uh, all over the world. And, um, and on the basis of that, we created uh, a model, uh, the customer-centric business model. And on the basis of that, we said, well, now we have the model and the model has these five solid pillars that you should strive for in your customer centric organization. But how do you get there? And that, that is when we designed the logical flow of the guide that said the first question that any decent CEO should ask is why should we do this? Yeah. <laughs> and so the first, the first tab in the, in the guide the landing site is why <laughs> and then we said okay and then you know what happens with ceos Deepa, you're a ceo um, you drive to the office and you or you read something and you have this great idea <laughs> but you don't implement it always or, although you do i know you are hands-on but uh, but uh, in large companies the ceo then calls somebody and say i have this idea let's implement it and then the person calls it how do we do that? So our second question was the answer to the three hows. How do we learn? How do we design? And how do we implement? And, and that's the way we thought about the guide. We tried to keep it as simple as possible. And we did. We did. And um, today we have a guide that's, and I've just checked this morning because I knew you were going to ask me. But I checked the Google Analytics on the guide. <laughs> the guide have, has been a uh, highly utilized guide. 
we have since September 2017, when we launched it, we have an average of a thousand visitors per month to the valley. And this is, this is, it, it goes up, it goes down, but mm. on average, it is a thousand visitors per month. But what is even more heartening is the fact that the visitor profile is changing from a lots of new visitors in the beginning to lots of repeat visitors every month. Nice. Which means it's becoming a reference site. Right. And uh, and that's uh, the 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 guide for me is something that um, that is a living site, and that's what we strived to do. And in fact, we used design thinking to design the guide, and nice. in the guide we espouse design thinking as the foundation for what financial service providers should do. Um, so it's sort of the picture in the picture. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I just love how you talked about it, Gerard, which is, you know, you first start with the why and then the answer to the three hows. I've personally taken a look at the guide and I think it's extremely well organized. Um, you know, us too, as Pensar Design, we do go out and evangelize design thinking, Gerard. We have our yearly summit that we do. We'll do it this year as well, but it'll be virtual um, because we just know these things work and it's important to sort of evangelize customer centricity. Um, it's important to evangelize deeply understanding and learning from customers so that you can serve them in the best way possible. Gerard, there was a case study that you wanted to talk through. So the stage is yours to talk about the case study. We started working with uh, 19 different financial service providers across the world. Uh, and six of them we really engaged with on a weekly, monthly basis for project periods where we co-created with them. Uh, and a lot of what we learned in engaging with these financial service providers then found its way into the guide, whether it's in the customer experience toolkit or the customer analytics toolkit or the change management toolkit. But we have, everything is driven by cases and case studies and examples and little templates we worked with. And one of the institutions was Pioneer Insurance in the Philippines. And uh, let me be very honest up front. We, we chose institutions where we knew we will have, have the best chance of good traction with what we are doing. So sure. remember, we've got a finite period in which we had to have to build the guide and then uh, amplify the guide. Uh, so, so our work with, uh, with Pioneer was, was based on the reality that they were already embarking, already embarked on a customer-centric journey as an organization. And specifically inside Pioneer, there was one division, the micro-insurance division that focused on the customers that we are interested in at CIGAP, the poor, the excluded, and the vulnerable, mostly women. And uh, we worked with the team there. And there's a lovely video, a 20-minute video on our website about this case study and this journey. We'll be sure to link to the case study in this. Yeah. 
we can we can we can add that and um, and what happened was that this micro-insurance unit didn't work directly with customers they worked with partners this part is so powerful um, but it can also remove you from the customer because you are now you have a product it's insurance products very difficult product anyhow to to get people to take um, and now this insurance product goes not directly but through a partner to somebody so they didn't realize what happened in on the front you know the in, in sort of the customer facing portion of the journey and so they went their own staff not the partner staff and they did customer journey mapping uh, with our support and they realized that what they thought was the journey and the, the real journey was two very different journeys mm. the second thing they realized by doing this is that customers want to speak to them and not only to the partner because the partner actually offers another product not the insurance product so they did two simple things they internalized this journey and customer centric approach in their relationship with the partner so when the partner speaks to the customer or they speak to the customer it is the same story it is consistent message the same experience for the customer and the second thing they did they did several other things as well but these were two important ones is they opened up contact centers where customers can actually engage with their staff mm. on the product any challenges they have etc it was so powerful that they tripled their revenue and uh, and uh, um, customer base in uh, in four years wow wow yeah. So uh, from 2014 to about 2018 and that specific unit today is still a very very successful unit but it's a unit that is absolutely focused on the customer and if you see the video you will see uh, and you will hear their stories and their interactions with their customers but that for me was a powerful answer to the question in on our website or on the guide site why why should you do this? Uh, because that is creating value for the customer and value for the firm and with both without without any one of them you want to be successful so you need both yeah yeah completely and i want to say um you know a lot of people think Gerard, that being customer centric being customer obsessed or design thinking is um, you know buzzwords and you know you do it because you have to but i loved your example for many reasons but um one of the main reasons was that applying this customer connectedness actually helped double the number of accounts over a period of time there's a deep business metric that's associated with it so you know i really liked how you said you want to solve the customer problem but you also want to be successful as a business and you sort of need that intersection of the two to truly you know make that change happen so it's a lovely case study and we'll be sure to link it um in our description so that people can go out and read the story as well um gerard you must sleep well at night knowing that 
You're helping, in your words, poor, vulnerable um, people in, in rural uh, parts of the developing world. Um, you talked about women as well, and I know that there's several areas of passion that you have. Um, you work with multiple countries, I believe 50 countries overall as CGAP. Um, what are some trends that you're seeing? What are patterns that you're observing with that viewpoint that you have across countries, um, but with a focus on a certain type of customer that CGAP is interested in? You know, Deepa, it's an it's a interesting question because you have two versions of trends. Trends that you see by looking at data and surveys, and uh, that kind of trend is a trend where you actually look in the rearview mirror, right? And you and you look back, and then there's a trend which I call a more informed trend analysis and it doesn't necessarily be defined purely as a trend on the basis of data but it's a trend where you see certain possibilities mm. in the future and um, uh, we all know that in the financial inclusion world the answer in the future would be a technology-driven answer. Uh, we don't see um, us going back to a very face-to-face -face or a peer face-to-face -face model. We've already seen it before the pandemic and we've seen it during the pandemic. But firstly, what will happen is that we will work, live in a much more digital world. But it will be a digital world where success will be driven by the real understanding of the customer mm. and not by just the blind application of technology. Uh, because blind application of technology doesn't lead us anywhere. And there are many risks inherent in that for people, especially women who don't have access to that technology where we actually drive a divide uh, by applying technology blindly. So the first trend, which is something we have to watch out for, is applying technology as the solution and not thinking about what you want to solve for the customer by applying that. So this is not a pure trend, it's sort of a trend and a prediction. And, uh, and I think that is extremely important for all of us to ensure that whatever we do and how technology is applied, it doesn't hurt people and it doesn't exclude people. And that brings me back right to my first quote, Absolutely. is that we are not trying to build back something from the past. We are trying to build much better in the future. And we've learned so much, even on steroids, the last couple of, well, the last two years, that we have to, to apply our learning uh, into what we design, that it's far more inclusive mm -hmm. and it's far more bespoke for those who are most vulnerable, of which the majority is women. 
So that's my first observation. My second observation is um, your observation of team sport is actually an interesting one because I feel that the solution for really scaling inclusion, whether that's financial, economic, and social inclusion, is, is team sport-based. In other words, if you don't have partners, there's no way that one entity will solve this. So this is the time where we call for partnerships mm -hmm. between entities that can scale. For example, a mobile network operator with vast reach and a, say a, a, a collection of microfinance institutions that actually know what's going on on the ground with people. I mean, that could be a powerful partnership. Large banks and mobile network operators. Mobile network operators across geographies no. where you bulk volume. Partnerships between agricultural firms, input provision firms and banks and mobile operators. I can go on and on yeah. looking at the permutations here, but the future of financial inclusion, economic inclusion and social inclusion and getting a society where people are treated fairly and equally on gender basis, that is that future lies with a combination between powerful partnerships and the correct application of technology. That's amazing. And I just want to thank you so much for your time, Gerard. This is wonderful. And it's, you know, on behalf of Pensar, it's just been such a wonderful opportunity to speak with you, to understand your views. Um, and like I said, I wish we all had the opportunity to sleep well at night, knowing that the work that we do every day makes someone's life much better. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Deepa. It's been a pleasure. Likewise.